Hello, welcome to this week's 10 minute recap. I'm Corey and I'm back in the studio this week, as you can see, and our assigned reading was 1 Chronicles 10 to 2 Chronicles 9. So let's get right into what happened in the scriptures. In 1 Chronicles 10, we're given another record of the death of King Saul, the first king of Israel. Now Saul died in battle against the Philistines, but he actually killed himself by falling on his sword in order to escape the torture that would have happened had he been taken alive by the Philistines. Now his body was treated as a token of victory by the Philistines, uh, but then it is rescued by the Israelite men of Jabesh Gilead, which if you'll remember, that was the city that Saul had saved from dishonor and death early on in his reign. So they're paying back the favor. 1 Corinthians 11 then gives us the record of David becoming the second king of Israel and over all Israel. So this record skips over those seven years that David had ruled solely over his tribe of Judah. But Chronicles is just condensing the history for us here. Now this chapter gives us the taking of Jerusalem as the capital city of Israel and how David and his nephew slash commander of the military built Jerusalem up. And we're given a list of David's mighty men, his warriors of note. Then in 1 Chronicles 12, we're given more exploits of those warriors and a record about how they came around David when he was on the run from Saul. Interestingly, a lot of them were Benjamites and relatives of King Saul. 1 Chronicles 13 talks about David bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, or really at least trying to. So David lets us know that the Ark wasn't used to inquire of God during the reign of King Saul, which is not entirely surprising. Remember seeing as how Saul was content to murder the priests of Nob, right? So then we learn that David incorrectly transported the Ark, and it ends up in a man dying. So in fear, David puts the ark in someone else's house for three months. That guy's name was Obed-Edom. Poor Obed-Edom. Even the king was afraid of the ark and now he and his family had to care for it. But we're told that God blessed them, blessed his family for it in really apparently noticeably noticeable ways. First Chronicles 14 then tells us about David's alliance with Hiram the king of Tyre. So Tyre was known for its building materials and its craftsmen, and they're used to build David's Jerusalem palace. We're also told about how David finally defeated the Philistinian threat that had been a real problem for Israel for generations at that point. In 1 Chronicles 15, David was brave enough to finally bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and this time he has the Levites carry it the way it was supposed to be transferred. So David corrected that issue with the procession the last time he had tried to move the Ark. And we're also told all about the Levites and musicians involved in the procession and the doorkeepers for the Ark, which was placed in a tent David had specifically pitched for it. We're also briefly told about the fight between David and his first wife, Michal, daughter of Saul, how when she saw David dancing before the ark, she despised him in her heart. Now, there are a few misconceptions that have really circulated about this incident in particular, and I don't really have time to go into all of it here now, but let me know if you'd like me to do a separate video on those two, on David and Michal, Michal and their relationship. 
Uh, but for now, let me encourage you to really read the details of the passage and you'll realize a few things. David was not naked and this fight likely had to do with interpersonal issues related to royal power. But anyway, 1 Chronicles 16 then takes us to the celebration Israel had in front of the ark's new tent. There was music, there were sacrifices, and David gives gifts of food to everyone in attendance. And we're even given an example of a song or psalm that the musicians performed before the ark daily. And we're told that Obed-Edom was appointed as a gatekeeper of the ark's tent. And just so we don't get confused, we're told that the original tent tabernacle of Moses stayed set up at the high place of Gideon. First Chronicles 17 records the Davidic covenant between God and David. So when David wants to build God a temple in Jerusalem, God stops him and says that he will actually build a house for David. Now, in this context, house means a dynasty, so a lineage of kings from David's descendants that would rule in Jerusalem. Ultimately, we see the promise of, of a Messiah coming from the house of David in God's words here, and that promise is picked up by the later prophets of God. First Chronicles 18 briefly goes over David's major military victories against the Philistines, Moabites, Zobah, the Arameans, and lists some of David's top officials that helped him to accomplish those victories. Uh, also, the spoils of war that they gathered and what David set aside for Solomon to build the temple with. All of that is listed. First Chronicles 19 details how David's delegation to the new king of the Ammonites was humiliated by the king of the Ammonites. And this sparks David into a war with Ammon. We see Joab, the commander of Israel's army, really show off his military prowess in that chapter. Now in chapter 20, the war with Ammon is concluded by Joab, who places the crown of Ammon's king on David's head. And we're told of some various battles with the Philistines that saw very large warriors like Goliath killed by David's warriors. First Chronicles 21 records the unlawful census that David took of the fighting men. Now, we had learned back in 2 Samuel 24 that David was incited to do this because God was judging Israel for something that we're not told of. Now, a plague breaks out and the event ends when God directs David to build an altar on a threshing floor in Jerusalem. We're told that from then on, David only offered sacrifices to God there in Jerusalem because he was afraid that the angel of God would kill him if he went to the tent tabernacle in Gibeon. In 1 Chronicles 22, David lets all of Israel know that the temple to God would be built in Jerusalem where that altar to God was. And he has stones quarried and cut, nails and fittings of bronze begun, and he starts to source cedar logs of Lebanon for the temple. His commissioning of Solomon and the leaders of Israel to build the temple are also recorded here. First Chronicles 23 then lists David's reorganization of the Levites for work in the temple. So he appoints 24,000 to work in the temple, 6,000 for officials and judges, 4,000 for gatekeepers, and 4,000 for worshiping God. But then David separated them into divisions according to which clan in the tribe of Levi they were a part of. So the Gershonites, Kohathites, or Merorites. 
and they're all registered and given duties. So everything is basically ready to go. Solomon can just build the temple and everything's going to be good to go. It's all lined up for him. In 1 Chronicles 24, we're given a list of the descendants of Aaron specifically, so the high priest, and how they were organized by use of the Urim and Thummim into family heads and leaders. 1 Chronicles 25 gives us a list of the musicians of the temple, but not just musicians. Also, musicians who prophesied to music were given their names separately and told that they did so under the direction of their fathers, Asaph, Jedithan, and Heman, who were under the direction of David. Now, this shouldn't surprise us because we know that David himself ministered to Saul through music. It's just interesting to note that prophesying to music was something that continued on into the worship of the temple. We're also given the detail that Heman's children were born out of a promise that God gave him. Now, we, of course, don't know the full story here, but it sounds like a really good one. In 1 Chronicles 26, we're given the divisions of the Levites that were to be the gatekeepers of the temple. There were four gates and one storehouse. It also lists the Levites who were treasurers judges and officials throughout Israel, not just at the temple, as well as the officials that went to the east of the Jordan River to take care of the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh who lived there. First Chronicles 27 gives us military divisions of Israel, as well as the king's officials who looked after his farmland, vineyards, olive oil, animals, and things like that. First Chronicles 28 records how David transferred the kingdom to Solomon in an official assembly, and how he had written down instructions for the temple as well. And then to close out 1 Chronicles chapter 29 records David's gifts for the building of the temple, as well as gifts from those at the assembly. And David prays and transfers his power to Solomon, who becomes king. And then there's a record of David's death. So 2 Chronicles 1, it continues the narrative. Solomon goes to Gibeon, where that tent tabernacle was, and he sacrifices and inquires of God. God answers him in a dream, blessing Solomon, giving him wisdom, wealth, and honor. 2 Chronicles 2 has Solomon preparing to build his palace and the temple. So he solidifies that relationship between Israel and Tyre, where all the materials were coming from. Second Chronicles chapter 3 records Solomon building the temple in the fourth year of his reign. So he builds it where David had built that altar to God on a threshing floor in Jerusalem. Second Chronicles 4 gives us details about the temple's furniture that Solomon commissioned. So notably, Solomon builds 10 lampstands and 10 showbread tables rather than the one each that the tent tabernacle had. Second Chronicles 5 sees the temple finished and the wealth of David being placed in its treasuries. The Ark of the Covenant is moved in as well, and the Tent of Meeting itself is moved from Gibeon into the temple with its furniture. So the Levites begin to worship and the presence of God fills the temple as evidence in a great cloud that fills the temple. Chapter 6 has Solomon blessing the people of Israel and dedicating the temple in a prayer. And 2 Chronicles 7 
fire from heaven consumes the burnt offering and sacrifices that are on the altar, and the cloud fills the temple so much that the Levites can't enter. So there's this seven-day feast of celebration, and God appears to Solomon again, promising this time to establish his throne in Israel as long as he follows God, but that if he or his descendants abandon God, the result will be the destruction of the nation and the temple being rejected by God and destroyed. Chapter 8 records how Solomon launched huge building projects around the nation and how he used conscripted labor, so forced labor from his Israelite citizens. We're also told he made a marriage alliance with Egypt and built a separate palace for Pharaoh's daughter because he knew her pagan lifestyle was not appropriate for God's city. Oh, Solomon. Anyway, finally for today, in 2 Chronicles 9, the Queen of Sheba comes to visit Jerusalem to test Solomon with difficult questions, and she leaves with what seems like a very large trade deal with Israel. And Solomon's great wealth and splendor is described in a summary of his reign before the record of his death and burial is given. All right, that sums up the reading for this week. I hope that you feel caught up to begin next week's reading. If you have any comments or questions, pop them down below. I really love reading them and responding to them when I have a second. So until next time, I wish you happy reading and happy studying. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.